Jeff Ado. This is Lunacy, where we discern the sacred from the insane and admit that whether we like it or not, we are all profoundly affected by the cycles of the moon. Back again with my good friend Erez Asher. Erez is the author of this book called Feel Love Now, which I highly, highly recommend, and also a systemic wellness advisor, everybody. I, d- I advise on systemic wellness. Systemically is what he does. Great. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, let's just start out because, I mean, last time we talked, I had some ideas of better book titles for you. Oh, yes. I remember those. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to give you that offer again. Again, these titles are all free, but if you use any of them, I take 70%. For this for second edition? Deal? Yeah, right. For second printing. Exactly. All right, here we go. So instead of feel love now, number one, feel love eventually. Promising? Okay. okay. <laughs> How about feel love at some point in the future when I have all of the things I have to have to feel love then? I think people are pretty much living that life. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, okay. It's two on the nose. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it doesn't have that sense of something I don't have yet that I want. I got you. I got you. There's no, there's no problem to be solved in that title. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Number three, fuck it. I'm done. I, I hear a lot of that. Okay. Okay. Good. Why bother? That sounds more like a novel. Okay. My fifth idea is, oh, well, <laughs> is that is there more to it no no, no that's, that's just, it. Just, oh well instead of feel love now oh well okay you know yeah that that's it's like uh, a dumbed down version of fucking i'm done yeah yeah okay exactly. all right i all think right. the the sense of compulsion that it, it evinces is lackluster but lackluster you, indeed yeah i agree finally feel love yesterday that would be nice yeah i'd love to feel love yesterday but then it would be gone. So you wouldn't be feeling it anymore because it was yesterday. Yeah. So would you? You'd be fixated on the past. Oh, yeah. That, that time I felt love. It doesn't work. I'm destroying all of my own titles. I think you should maybe just keep it feel love now. I think I will. Okay, cool. Although I do like feel love at some point in the future when I have all of the things I have to have to feel love then. That sounds like consumerism. It's fun. It's fun to say all of that, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, it's catchy. That's the number one. Everybody, anybody who wants to steal that title, boom. Feel free to steal it, okay? And then 70%. Thanks. Awesome. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad we're back. I'm excited to chat with you again. Like we did last time, I kind of just want to meander around, get into some of the ideas in your book, and then chat about some other ancillary ideas that people are going to find interesting. All right, Aris? Does that sound fucking good? Uh, yes. Yes, it does. Great. All right. So the first, so I earmarked a bunch of great things in your book. One of them is um, there's no need to manipulate your relationships in the same way that there is no need for your relationships to manipulate you. Instead, feel your relationships by witnessing and honoring them. Remember, they exist in order to facilitate your growth. So what do they need in order to grow in wellness? Is there something you can give them to increase their ability to function? So I love this notion because you're really shifting the context of how it is that people generally hold relationships which is kind of like a a sort of I need something from this other person kind of thing versus oh this is like a beautiful thing that I can grow from and help them grow right yes exactly okay say more all right so the nature of relationships why do we have them Um, relationships exist to facilitate our growth 
mm-hmm. whether that be relationship, our initial relationships with our family, with our parents and so on, our siblings, we're growing and learning and expanding our limits. And it's one of the reasons that relationships can be quite uncomfortable. Right. They can facilitate our growth so much that they get us out of our comfort zone. Yeah. And, or sometimes they're just enabling stuff, in which case you actually have problems that result from the relationship not facilitating the growth to the degree that it could. Yes. So when we understand that that's the purpose of relationships, and we, we have relationships of choice and relationships of birth and relationships of convenience and, and community and all that kind of stuff, then it's, the question becomes, how can we facilitate the, the, the success of our relationships? Mm-hmm. Meaning, how can we help our relationships to help everyone in the relationship to grow? Yeah. Since that's their purpose. Mm-hmm. That's great. So when we treat relationships as essentially living beings, then it's like, how do we nurture the relationship? Mm-hmm. How do we assist it? Because, you know, relationships are conceived, they grow, they can diminish and they can die. Yeah. And so that qualifies as a living being pretty much. Yeah, indeed. So how we take care of relationships as living beings, how we nurture them, nourish them, support them, interact with them. It allows for a much wider range of experience that leads to a much greater capacity for growth. Yeah, that's great. So you're saying when we build a relationship, we create an alien that's separate from us. That's not entirely inaccurate. Uh-huh. Um, okay. okay. Alien meaning foreign. So it's the relationship is not a relationship between human beings, for instance, is not human itself. Yeah. Okay. It is something that is not human, that is interconnecting, interrelating hmm. human beings. You can have a relationship with your pet, for instance, or pets in your case. So you have relationships with other beings, living beings. You can have a relationship with a tree. You know, there's nothing preventing you from having a healthy relationship with a wide variety of living beings. Hmm. Interesting. I like how you spun that. Nice work. You know what I mean? Throwing your curveballs. You're just hitting them out of the fucking pocket. Keep it up. Yeah. All right, good. So there's two things that come to mind when you talk about that. Two, Two things. One is friendships are so important to me. I like I have a lot of really good friendships. It doesn't mean that I talk to everybody every day or anything like that. But man, I have some homies that are like really good friends of mine. And and I just love these people. And it's really important to me to keep that relationship up whenever we catch up and and talk. It's it's one of the greatest joys for my life. And I heard one time even that the Dalai Lama was asked, like, what's the greatest virtue? And he said, friendship. Mm hmm. Which I think is true. So that that comes to mind for to me, but it's also really fascinating, you know, the, as you posit it to really like examine the relationship as an external thing, as like another thing that then now we've created. Here's this garden that we have of our relationship and we get to figure out what's going to go in it and how it's going to grow and what needs to transform or shift or where boundaries need to be laid. Mm-hmm. It's more of an empowering position because then. Again, you're like, what I find fascinating about that is you're creating an extra layer of objectivity where I can be the observer more of the, of the relationship versus manipulated by it or feel like I'm trying to manipulate them as you. Yeah. I think what you're alluding to here is the tendency that a lot of people have to focus on using. Yes. Right. This notion of, okay, I, I'm 
wanting to be in relationships with this person or people so that I can use them to get what I want. Mm-hmm. Potentially because that's how they had this sort of relationship growing up in their family, let's say, where in order to get their needs met, they had to be more manipulative. This is pretty common stuff. And and that's a way to learn. You know, it's one way to learn perhaps the hard way. Yeah. However, it is a way to, to learn and grow. Yeah. You can grow from the experience because a lot of growth occurs on the basis of challenge more so than support. And friendship is a, really a relationship of support. Right. That it's not based upon family bonds. No, it's not. Yeah, that's great. And also, by the way, just to be clear, you know, don't feel bad if you're using somebody for a relationship. You know what I mean? That's just what we do. But there's a misunderstanding that's kind of implicit. I feel like if you are using someone in a relationship that needs to get clarified, like a lot of people want to be in a couple because they don't want to be single. They don't want to be alone or they don't want to be seen as being alone. And so Mm -hmm. they're using them, the other person for those kind of things, or they're using the other person to get their needs met, to fill the hole that they never had filled or like that. Yeah. So that's where things get problematic. Yeah, exactly. But that also is about you know, just being conscious of it, you know what I mean? And not, and you have to love yourself through the process of realizing that you might actually be using this person to fill your needs Mm -hmm. so that then you don't use them for that. Yeah. I I would reframe it a little bit. Go for it. To, to see that when you understand what the purpose of relationships is, Mm -hmm. then you realize that you don't actually need to use anybody Mm -hmm. because really what it's about is these are opportunities to learn and grow. So, if there's an un, an unmet need that you have, okay, this is an opportunity to learn what's the basis of this need. Yeah, need is always based on context. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need to breathe in order to to live. Right. Okay, but it's in order to what? I need this new car in order to what? Mm-hmm. I need the new girlfriend in order to what? Yeah. There's always some context that can be examined and understood. Mm-hmm. And so when we no longer view relationships as means to get what we want but rather view them as means to facilitate growth and well-being, then it changes the nature of how we are interacting because there's nothing wrong with having needs. There's nothing wrong with having desires. There's nothing wrong with this. The question is, how are you showing up in relationship to your needs? Yeah. How are you showing up in relation to your wants and your desires? Mm -hmm. Are you expressing them clearly and honestly to yourself, first of all, Mm -hmm. and then to others? Yeah especially to people that you're in a close relationship with, are you expressing, you know, this is true of me. This is, this is where I'm at right now Mm -hmm. and honor this other person in their sovereignty to be able to decide, okay, am I willing or able to show up in the way that this person, this, this person wants? Yeah. Right. And whatever that answer is, is what that answer is. Mm hmm. And it's not up to you. And so because of that, it ties back to this notion of accepting that we don't really have control yeah. over other people. Yeah, that's great. And also, I think what's what's beautifully implicit in what you're saying is self-love, you know, mm-hmm. that if you're really going to honor the relationship, you have to be honoring yourself and loving yourself as well. And looking at this as an opportunity for you to love yourself more and grow. And I mean, <sighs> the cynic already knocking in my head going, oh, my God, he's talking about that again. You know what I mean? But it's a priority. You have to love yourself. You know what I mean? If you want to be happy, forget it. That's it. Yeah. Relying upon the love of other people, but not providing it to yourself is like overburdening others. Right. It's quite selfish. Right. It is. 
And so it's actually very generous to love yourself so much that you are then able to overflow that love onto others. Because then you're coming from a place of fullness, that you're replete, and then you're just, you know, you're, I'm good. I'm great. Here's an opportunity for me to, you know, give to you. Here's an opportunity to receive from you. Here's an opportunity to share something together from this place of fullness instead of a place of lack. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I, and I kind of like, a, now I'm listening more to my cynic voice and why it's coming up that way. And you know what, there's always like an undercurrent of, yeah, but do I deserve that love? I don't deserve that love. There's some part of that. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I don't like ultimately feel that way. I feel that I'm a happy person. You know what I mean? We all have our moments, but I do feel like the cynical voice that says self-love is a bag of bullshit. There's like also underneath that part you know, that thinks it's dumb is mm-hmm. also this fear-based thing that thinks I don't deserve that love that I would give to myself. Yeah. And so that's something to get over. And I would ask oneself, okay, is there some child out there that I think is not worthy of love? Oh yeah. That's a great way to put it. Right. I mean, do I come across a child? I mean, even, they might be acting like a little shit, right. but it doesn't mean they're not, you know, deserving of love. Yeah, exactly. It just means that they, they need actually a bit more love. Yeah. Right. And, and maybe a little firm love, but they, they, that's what they're needing. And so when we can look at ourselves and see the same thing in our inner child and say, is this inner child somehow not deserving, whereas every other child is? Yeah. I mean, it's absurd. Yeah, it's a totally, completely absurd. Yeah. That's great. The other thing that came up for me while, while we were chatting about this is, you know, there are some relationships in our life that are so challenging. And you can't get out of them. And I, uh, I'm if, if I can, no, no, okay. no. no I'm going to, I'm going to say, right. Could be a mother, could be anything to somebody. Now I have one of these relationships and I'm not going to say in my life who, who it is. Okay. This person's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And at some point I was at odds with this person. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's no, this is never, we're not, this is, this relationship will exist for a long time and there's no getting out of it. And there are things about this person that I really like. I just, there was a rift. And at some point I realized the only way out is through. The only way that I'm going to make this relationship work is if I just completely love this person unconditionally mm-hmm. and I just stand for them. And then I listen to them and I appreciate them and treat them res- with respect. And I have to say, now I have a beautiful relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. And also, not only do I have a beautiful relationship with them, but they have transformed as a result of our interaction. And so have I, mm-hmm. because I had to love the person where I was like, yeah, but I'm right and they're wrong. You know what I mean? Or yeah. whatever, which was that was what was going on. Right. Mm-hmm. I had some judgments and I, I just it's one of the most mature things that I've ever done. It took me years. It was a choice that I made to create that. And. I'm so gratified by the fact that now I have this beautiful relationship with this person versus, you know, banging my head against the wall. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of what we do. Yeah. So I just wanted to point that out. Like I, I, I suppose in my own personal experience in that instance, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about the relationship as a separate thing, but I was like, this relationship is not going anywhere. It's absolutely mandatory in my life. And so therefore I'm going to give it love. I'm going to treat it as I'm going to see what I need to give it. And it opened up so much for me. So just throwing out that out there, people, if you have some relationship in your life with somebody that you just, oh my God, what am I going to do? Try the full hearted approach. Know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Good. Yeah. All right. Next. What's up on the docket? Your understanding of what it means to be alive is like a fish understanding what it means to be wet. Mm-hmm. Tell us more. Mm. You know, I... I began to, to mention earlier in the conversation about, you know, living beings, right? Living beings are able to be distinguished because we are conceived, we grow, we diminish, and we die. Mm-hmm. That's true of all living beings, essentially. And so there's a process of transformation that is occurring, a process of change which is undergoing, and it's occurring all the time. Yeah. So this sense of transformation and literally transform the changing of form, the shifting of form. That's what this is. That's what life is in all of its variations. Mm -hmm. And so it's constant. It's always around us. It's always through us. It's always, we're always a part of it. And so that's why we have this sense of, you know, trying to make it simpler to understand or simpler to accept by honing in on objects. That's a living thing. And that's not a living thing. Yes. And also we can understand it as even things that are not living are part of life. Yeah. They're part. It's the same way that you might say, you know, some of the, let's say, you know, your hair is is still part of your living being, even though it's no longer alive. The follicles are still alive, Mm -hmm. but the hair itself is not. Yeah. And so, as, as an example here, where there are things that are not living, they're still part of life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where do you draw the line? And the answer is, you don't have to. Yeah. It's just a matter of understanding that it's pervasive. It, it's not something which is foreign to you or foreign to anything. It's all that is. It's, it's, life is extant. It's existing not only in what we are familiar with, it's existing throughout the entire planet, throughout the entire solar system, the entire galaxy, the entire universe. All of this is alive. And we're part of it. And we are part of a singular living being. Mm -hmm. That's related to this whole. It is the whole. Right. It is the whole. Yes. That's crazy. That's trippy. Deep thoughts. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in order to understand this, it's very similar to a fish trying to understand what it's like to be wet. Yeah, you know, interestingly, what I also like about that analogy is is that if you imagine that you're breathing water. Like if if you if you, let's change it, right? If you if I imagine that I'm breathing water now and you're breathing water, for an instant in the imagining of that I'm inhaling water and I'm exhaling water constantly and there is nothing between us but water in other words that we are connected by this liquid mm-hmm. we're like i can't feel you but if i were to you know move my hand right you would feel the water push up against you and there is like more of an actual connection if i really imagine that i am breathing water that i am so to so to say wet then it heightens my awareness so much because then I, I'm, I'm much more present to the idea that we are interconnected and that there's something in between us, which, of course, is the same as air, right? There's gas in between us, but we're just thinking of it in a different form. But the trick is hanging on to that idea, like holding on to that notion. How do I keep understanding that, you know, I am wet, 
right? That my fish is wet, right? Cause I can think about that. I can imagine that it almost becomes a practice where now because I'm communicating about it, I'm, I'm think like my awareness is heightened and I do feel more connected. Mm-hmm. Would I like speak to that a bit? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, the easiest way to consider this is to accept that there fundamentally is no separation. Mm-hmm. There is differentiation in the same way there are differences in density in water in air in solids and so on. So you can have differing degrees of how densely packed things are mm-hmm. versus how sparse things are, but there's no separation fundamentally. Yeah. That's actually an, an illusion that we create in our minds in order to make things easier to, to try to understand and manipulate. Right. So when we come to accept that, as you're saying, you know, if you're, if I'm pushing some water or some air and you're feeling the pressure change, okay, that makes it obvious mm-hmm. that we're connected. That is indeed the case. Yes. And so it's the case, not only in the, the physical aspect, but it's also the case in the room of thoughts. We're having this conversation. We're transmitting information. Like that's true. Especially here. That's kind of obvious because we're having a dialogue. So we're bouncing back and forth. Going. Right. Emotional states. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, true. If you were fucking totally fiercely pissed off right now, I would leave the room. <laughs> right. Good to know. <laughs> or whatever. Like yeah. if, if you're in an emotional state, that's going to affect me for sure. Right. There are, there are effects that are, are occurring, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that energetically there's electromagnetic radiation there's there's constant interplay on multiple levels simultaneously at all times and some of which some of which we're aware of and most of which we're not aware of absolutely in fact if you want to consider how little we are aware of oh god i love it and i hate it at the same time yeah i mean Oh, I like there's to, all these things going on. And I don't even know what's going on. I can't even think about my hot pump and blood right now, but I know it's doing it. Yeah. And then it's is. getting to my brain. There's oxygenation happening to my lungs and the capillaries, but I'm not responsible for it. But I know what's happening, but I don't know how it works. You know, Go and that's and isn't that a blessing? You don't have to know how everything works in order for it to work. That's true. It is a blessing. Yeah. So I guess. It, it, yeah. It does make me kind of feel like an idiot, though. Do you know what I mean? Well, uh, like I, I to consider you. how little I am aware of what's really happening. I'll give you an example to make things proportional. Okay. So when you look at, uh, when you consider what is the range of electromagnetic radiation that you can actually see? Okay. None? No, you can see some. Is that you have three primary... Light? Co- light light yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we have three primary receptors in for color to be able to distinguish the ranges of different frequencies of light. And so, you know, our red, green, and, and blue uh, light receptors, mm-hmm. basically the, the excitation is greater for those wavelengths. And so that allows us to interpolate what we believe the color range to be based upon the frequencies that we are able to perceive. So that narrow band, uh-huh, is so freaking narrow yeah. in comparison to all of the various frequencies of electromagnetic radiation out there. For, you know, everything, radar, ultraviolet. Right. You know, there's so infrared, x-rays, yeah. you know, cosmic rays. Uh-huh. There are, there's such a wide range. It is enormous. Yeah. Okay. All these waves are occurring all the time. Yeah. 
but we're only able to see with our eyes of such an incredibly narrow range. And we've and we've proved that there are plenty of other beings out there that see way beyond what we see, like bees and dogs and cats and whatever. I wouldn't say beyond. They just they have adapted to see different frequencies, different wavelengths yeah. of electromagnetic radiation because it's more useful for their evolution. Right. And so one of the reasons we can see through air is because it's useful for us. Yeah. You know, if there are frequencies where air is opaque. Really? Yeah. And so... It's terrifying. I mean, I guess that's just blindness. Yeah, but the, the point is that that's why we don't have receptors for that. Okay. Because we wouldn't, it wouldn't be useful. So this it has to do with the evolution of the earth, mm-hmm. the evolution of plants, the evolution of berries and things. You're wanting to see red on green very easily to find you know, ripe berries. There's all sorts of things that, that we have evolved mm-hmm. as animals that we take it for granted because we aren't aware. We're so caught up in being alive mm-hmm. that it's just we don't know that we're wet. Yeah, we don't consider what it means to be alive and we don't consider that we're wet. But guess what? We're all wet, people. You know what I mean? Metaphorically and perhaps literally. Yes. And perhaps literally, but not in any gross way. Okay, moving on. Enjoy the hot tub. <laughs> That's exactly. Okay, so you say, love beyond your discomfort, beyond your hesitation, and beyond your edge. Not too far, but just far enough to grow and expand your ability to love it all, through it all. I mean, you're really asking a lot, man. You know what I mean? Am I? Or is it, did I just describe what you just did with this guy or person that, that this you had the relationship? Individual, yeah. Good point. So you see that it was effective. Oh, yeah. Wow. Way to, way to throw it back in my face. Yeah, again, yeah. curveball. All right. You could. <laughs> Don't, you know what I mean? This guy in baseball. You know what I mean? He's probably very, he's probably terrible at actually playing baseball. Are you? I haven't played baseball in years. But I, you're really I good at, you know, intellectual baseball. So just keep it up, man. You know what I mean? That's great. Yeah. Love beyond your discomfort, beyond your hesitation and beyond your edge. Not too far, but just far enough to grow and expand your ability to love it all through it all. That's such a beautiful, like, just push yourself, right? Isn't that kind of what you're getting at? I would say, and push yourself, which feels a bit bossy. Uh, yeah, and it does. And manipulative. Yeah. I would say, you know, look at this as an opportunity to grow mm-hmm. by expanding just beyond your comfort zone, expanding just beyond your edge. because. That's the only way that you can keep going in terms of growth. Yeah. You have to be able to go beyond. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love it. I love it because it's also, I mean, it just makes me think of like training, you know, mm-hmm. exactly uh, running and going to the gym and such, you know, you're, you have to, you're pushing yourself, you're pushing your body beyond your discomfort, beyond your hesitation, beyond your edge. But you're saying love beyond your discomfort. Use your heart, like use that muscle of loving because it is a muscle, really. We get used to behaving in certain ways mm-hmm. and we set our expectations, things that we're comfortable with. And then if we open our hearts and we actually feel what our hearts are calling for, for how we're called to love. Oftentimes we're called to do things that seem, oh, my God, that's crazy. I'm never going to do that. Yeah. Really? Why I got, not? I have so many of those. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. It's because you're afraid of something and you believe that this is somehow problematic. But if you actually trust your heart and you trust the guidance of love, then you can, and I'm not saying just go, you know, whatever your heart says, just go ahead and do it, you know, way beyond your comforts. Cause then what happens is you get a snap back. Mm-hmm. So what I'm suggesting is go just beyond your edge. Yeah. To the point where you're stretching mm-hmm. so that you can loosen that up. Mm-hmm. 
and then it becomes easier to go a little further. Yeah. And then a little further and then a little further. Because otherwise you it is possible to to extend yourself so far so fast that you snap back or break something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's 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 countless examples of enlightenment stories in Zen and other places where they, you know, the person's come on, I just want enlightenment. I just want enlightenment. And the Buddha or the master's like, you would go totally fucking crazy if I keep, I mean, they don't say that, but they essentially say you couldn't handle it. Yeah. You go fucking completely insane. All right. You're going to go fucking crazy. But something like that, they say like, you couldn't, there's no way that you could handle it. If I told, if I just, Open the door and all of a sudden you were in completely enlightened. You wouldn't be able to handle it. You would go crazy. And people have, you know? Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a need to establish your capacity. Mm-hmm. And if you have had a small capacity, then it's the equivalent of, of trying to stick a fire hose worth of water through a in tiny drinking straw. It's going to not be good. Right. Know? And part of self-love and part of loving others is to really feel into where you're at, where they're at, Mm -hmm. so that you're allowing them and facilitating them in their expansion, but you're not shoving it down and forcing anything that would cause harm. Right. And oftentimes that may be like, okay, we're not going to, I'm not going to give you the PhD level answer even though you're saying you want it because you're not able to really receive it. Mm-hmm. And this could lead to a whole bunch of other things where you're getting, you know, you know, it just enough to be dangerous. Yeah. There are all sorts of different ways where understanding capacity and how we can show up in support of people where they're at. Right. Including ourselves and ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Including ourselves. Yeah. That's super important is essential yeah. for, for really getting getting the full benefits of love. Yeah. And also I think, you know, it's worth saying that like it just as like our relationship, you know, Arizona and I are friends. We've known each other for a couple of years now and we're really good friends. He came to my wedding, right? Yeah. Not that that's a requisite. I have plenty of friends that did not come to my wedding and I love you too, but uh, I've known you for a long time. We're friends. And I do feel that we have, that our friendship is a thing in and of itself. You know, I know I can ask you for help on things and you can know that you can ask me for help. We do that. Right. And also there's a relationship with myself. Just, that's pretty much kind of the same kind of thing. It's just with me and Jeff. Who is Jeff? Who is Jeff Ada? Who am I? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is obviously that's something that I've. <laughs> I've done a lot of time thinking about it, spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I think probably everybody does. But when I think about it in terms of like, how is my relationship with myself? Am I answering the calls that I have to fulfill my dreams? Which I am. There's still so much more for me to be done, but it is written down somewhere. So I'll I'll get to those things. Mm -hmm. And that's really not the point. The point that I'm trying to make is when I'm conscious of that, there is this relationship that I have to myself and how much love I'm willing to give to myself, then it's a lot easier for me to conceptualize giving that love to myself. If I think about my relationship to myself as an external relationship, like I think of my relationship to you, that is liberating for me. And it allows myself to to offer more love to myself and accept more love and acceptance to myself. That makes sense. Yes. Nailed it. Very good. Moving on. This part you can read. Since waves spread throughout consciousness, the effects of past choices can be witnessed as patterns in the present. 
Since the ocean of consciousness is infinite, there is nothing to stop the effects of past choices. It's only by there being additional waves that the effects of past choices can be modified or nullified to the point that their patterns become unrecognizable. In more human terms, each present moment is always influenced by past choices. This is how you are able to remember things, and how you can learn from past choices. Yet the most important thing to learn from the past is to be present. This is because the past has passed, and is not something that can be repaired or repeated. Instead, the past is something to be learned from, and sometimes healed from, with care and compassion. That's beautiful. That's great. I love the the past has passed. Yeah. You know, the past has passed. That's so great. First of all, I think that's a great way to just, that's beautiful. And then also the other thing is, you know, when we think of the past, so much of it is like things that have happened that you say, you know, we need to heal from, there might be incidents and things that come up that we need to heal from and also make amends. I'm a big, huge proponent of like, how do I make amends to the relationships and the people that I feel like I screwed up or I didn't, there wasn't enough there. You know what I mean? How do mm-hmm. I? And I would, I would qualify that as saying that needs are overrated. You know, sometimes it's a matter, it's not a matter of creating needs, a list of things I need to do. I need to do this. Mm-hmm. It's more a matter of acknowledging that here's an opportunity. Right. Here's an opportunity for yeah. Here's an opportunity for he, for me to heal something. Yeah, exactly. Here's an opportunity. Oh, there's a wound there that's not healed yet. Yeah. I don't need to heal it. I can still keep suffering. Right. right. It's been there for a long time. That's right. Yeah, okay. Doesn't mean I'm bad or I'm wrong or I'm not good enough. Yeah. I don't need to. But perhaps I would like to. Yeah. It's like the image that came to mind when you said that was like, you know, we're kind of all walking around limping, <laughs> you know, and the the idea that we could just stop limping like the the concept like i'm thinking of what's his name from oh god that amazing film with kevin spacey you know where he plays a guy you know what i'm talking about that narrows it down to quite a few and it's got stephen baldwin in it come on and you know and benicio del toro i think is in it usual suspect oh yeah thank you where he's like walking at the end of the movie and you see him, he's got that limp and then all of a sudden he starts walking again. Oh yes. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think of that, you know, if we were to, we have this limp because there's this thing, this relationship that I had back in the day, that's like having me limp because I never cleared it. But if I could imagine that I could walk again perfectly, like that's a beautiful image. I want to do that. And the idea that I could heal that limp from that relationship is a beautiful way to look at it. You know, if the thing that's haunting you from the past is causing you to limp through life, consider doing something to complete it. And that can be right. Having a conversation with the person, calling them up, writing them a letter, not even giving them the letter, burning the letter, whatever, getting complete about it with yourself. There's so many different ways to get complete. But I think the point is like one way to get super present is to heal the wounds that are haunting you from the past. Absolutely. And I will even add on to that, that, that when we consider a limp and we're recovering from a limp, mm-hmm. if we've been limping for quite a long time, the rest of our body... We're a big bunch of limpers. <laughs> yeah. So if, if a person is limping for a long time, yeah. right, the rest of the body has already learned how to compensate. Mm-hmm. 
And so what happens is that in healing, whatever was causing the limp, you then, your, your body's already out of balance. Yeah. And so it's not, if you just overnight or, you know, in a moment, you're able to heal that one part of you, that doesn't mean that the rest of you hasn't, has already adjusted. Right. And so there's an acclimation, there's an adjustment process. An integration. Exactly. There's an integration. It's all about integration, you guys. It's totally all about integration. Okay. So this whole process of integrating and and restabilizing, creating a new form of dynamic equilibrium that's able to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And and by healthy, I mean have an increased ability to function. Yeah. So that's really the point that is often lost in Western mindset mm-hmm. because there's a sort of a fix it mentality. Yeah. Like, there's your problem. Just going to fix that and everything will be fine. Right. And that's not how living beings work. Yeah. We work on the basis of, we function on the basis of dynamic equilibrium. Okay. And so because of that, we are constantly adjusting. We're constantly creating new balance that's continuously changing. To define dynamic equilibrium Certainly. for the people who don't understand, because I completely get it. Yeah. I'm okay. sure you do. I'm sure. It's dynamic and equilibrial. Yeah, certainly. All right. Dynamic means continuous, <laughs> continuously changing. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Equilibrium means balancing. Right. Okay. So our, we're continuously, we are balancing ourselves in a manner that is continuously changing. Okay. Yeah. So inhaling, exhaling. Right. Eating, excreting, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That we're constantly taking inputs, outputs. And we're constantly rebalancing. When you walk, whether forward or backward, if I if I walk forward, I'm there's my my balance is thrown off a little bit, so I'm going forward or leaning forward a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you're basically falling. Yeah, I'm essentially falling catching forward yourself and every, catching myself in each moment. Step, it's right. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same concept. It's like how life is functioning in general. Right. Whenever there's any forward moment, forward movement, and when we get that clarity. We can understand that it's not, okay, there's your problem and you just change this one little thing and that's done. Yeah. Now you're perfect. Welcome to enlightenment. Good job. Way to fix that thing with your dad. You're done. Exactly. It's like, that that is a mechanical mentality. Mm -hmm. That is pretending that we're machines. Right. That we have some preset design. And if we're not, you know, uh, if we're not adhering to that design, that there's something you know, problem is wrong or, you know, we are defective or we're just not normal, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Normal is of course, highly overrated. And so. Indeed. Uh, and boring. Very often. For the person who's the normal person that is there anyway. And the rest of us. Yeah, go on. Yeah. So this notion that there's stuff to fix. Yeah. Instead of understanding that there are opportunities to heal. Right. It's just not realistic. It's not. Yeah. yeah. And so when we get caught into this fictional mindset that's pretending that we're machines that we aren't. And we could fix everything. Yeah. Then we get caught up into these ideas that are not associated with reality. Mm -hmm. And so it comes back continuously to establishing a more functional degree of dynamic equilibrium Mm -hmm. to increase our ability to function, which is our wellness. Yeah. And also just understanding that, I mean, what you're saying. Right. That, that that once you fix the limp, there's still all the other parts of your body that were compensating for the limp. Like your back's probably going to be messed up and your left hip is going to be messed up because you're right. You know, whatever you were compensating. I mean, for me personally, I can 
speak very specifically to this because I broke my elbow in November and I had surgery and the whole thing. And now it's like getting better, Mm -hmm. but it's not, I don't have full range of motion, et cetera. And I got a massage last week and my friend found this spot in my back that was like way down, way in the, in the middle of my back, but a muscle that was, that's connected all the way up through into my elbow that was severely tense. Mm -hmm. And he just stepped, he does some Thai massage. He's amazing. This guy, he does some, he, he was like stepping on it and just relaxing that muscle because it was compensating for the fact that I broke my elbow, even though now my elbow is healed. There was all this other residual effects that then had to get healed. So I think that's something else to be aware of. You know, we heal if we heal this past relationship, that's still going to there's still going to be a whole slew of things that are going to come up. (laughs) Yeah. And you got to be prepared for that, too. Otherwise, you just go back to limping again. Preparation may not be required, but acceptance is acceptance. There you go. Because when you are. In refusal and in denial, mm-hmm. you're going to pay the consequences. You're going to face those consequences. Yeah. So it's much more enjoyable and healthier. Yeah. To really accept that we're constantly changing, we're constantly growing. As we heal in one aspect, there are other aspects to compensate for sure for this equilibrium to be developed. Yeah. Totally. And and as somebody who you know, like I, I we talked in our first conversation a little bit about. You know, I feel like my life very much has been about trying to heal things in myself, right? Like we talked about doing acting and being an actor. And so then part of being an actor is consciously healing things in your own life so that you can, you know, be an empty vessel for the character that you're trying to portray, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, I have yet to get to the point where I'm like, I'm totally healed, donezo. And that's that. That's a wrap, you guys. Completely healed. I feel fucking great all the time. All right there, pups? Like that's never... That has never happened. There is a perpetual pile of things to heal, even ancestrally. I know that sounds crazy, but I do feel that way. Knowing I'm not even just, I'm not being like, oh, ancestrally, you know, oh, in the ethers. I mean, like in my family, like my father and my grandfather, things I know happened, ways of healing my relationships in my family that are also healing part of my ancestry that then goes back and back. There's just this never ending pile of healing. There's yeah. no, which is great. Yes. Especially if you're, you understanding that that's the game to be played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. And one of the things I've found, which is perhaps important for a lot of people listening is that, you know, there, there's so much focus on healing. Yeah. There's so much focus on illness and for good reason, there's plenty of it. And There's also the matter of viewing it from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So if I view the same situation, the same backstory, the same everything. Yeah. Through the lens of wellness. And I say, oh, there are opportunities for me to increase my ability to function in this aspect of my life. There's an opportunity for me to to address here. There's something about my past with my father that's in the way of my full expression mm-hmm. of, of or being at peace with my manhood right. or whatever the case may be, that all these things, if you view them as things to heal, then you're viewing it from that, that place of, of lack or insufficiency. 
And if you actually view it in the other direction, say, oh, these are opportunities for me to expand. Because okay. knowing you, you're actually... I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're actually quite well. Right. That's true. You're right. And so... Yeah, I'm not looking at myself as if I'm like, uh, you know, wounded guy. Yeah. And I think that... It it's makes, just that I keep discovering little things where I'm like, oh, that, that yeah. could use some healing. Yeah. But the, you see or some wellness. I see what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Because what happens is that when people it's get... better, Way better context. Yeah. When people get attached to... You know, oh, I'm, I have all this stuff to heal. I have all this okay. stuff to heal. And then we're just stuck processing all the fucking time, which well, is so annoying. Aside from that, the, the experience is one of insufficiency. Right. Not enoughness. Yeah. And I think that it's important for us to be aware that we're always enough. Right. That's the big illusion. Yeah. Is that somewhere, somehow we really got tripped up and we were like, we're not, I'm not enough. And that's bullshit. But we think it's really true and we can tell you why, but we won't tell you because it's our little secret. <laughs> the question is, who's deciding this enough business? Yeah, right. That's a good point. Yeah. Who's the arbiter of <laughs> yeah. enough? And okay. the, the answer is you are the arbiter of your own enough. Yeah, exactly. If it's God, God's like, totally you're enough, dude, all the time. Yeah, if you weren't enough, you wouldn't be here. Yeah, exactly. So every here, religion, every enough. spirituality, everybody who talks about God in any sort of sensible manner explains that God believes that you are totally whole, complete and perfect, just as you are right now. And also that's a good point. You know, you're the, you're the one who's, who is the decider of what enough is. And that's like a big, I mean, that's, that's really the trick, isn't it? It is the perspective. Yeah. And the the sense that I am choosing Mm -hmm. to keep, to continue to become more and more well in my life. Yeah. Because I'm choosing to love. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Right. By loving myself. Right. I'm feeling this knowing and desire to increase my ability to function. Mm -hmm. That's that's the basis of self-love. That's what self-love is. Yeah, exactly. And and really, I think also. Just meditating on your own enoughness, you know, that I am enough. I mean, I'm not a huge like affirmations guy. But sitting there saying, I am enough, I am enough, I am enough, I am enough, focusing on that over and over again does a lot for a man or a mm-hmm. woman or a human or a person. It might even do something for squirrels, although I don't think they speak English. My wife would disagree with me. She thinks they talk. However, the, I'm, I'd be curious to see how judgmental squirrels are. You think they're ju- Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. I don't yeah. think they're quite as judgmental no, as we are. No, not in my experience. I've had some intimate moments with squirrels. No details, please. Not nothing gross. No, don't don't be like that. All right, the tiny, furry, cute little animals. But during COVID, my wife befriended many a squirrel to the point where they were fucking coming in our house. I'm not kidding. They would come in through the cat door. Okay. <laughs> COVID was boring, people. I have videos. I'll share some. You know, but yeah, she would. The squirrels would come in through the through the cat door and get up on the table, and she would feed them nuts on the table. They would come in her lap. They were so cute. They were so cute. They're really adorable. And I can tell you, because I talked to them, and she definitely did. Uh-huh. They are not judgmental at all. Super loving little animals. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're giving them nuts. <laughs> all right, great. That's awesome. Shall we move on? I think so. Oh, this is a juicy juicer. The rich elegance of life is a result of the fractal nature of reality. Yes. Read the first paragraph there. The first paragraph. Have you ever noticed how richly detailed and complex life is? 
from the largest scales to the smallest. The vibration of consciousness powers the intricacies of the cycles of life. As life itself is constantly vibrating, the cycles of life are the waves within waves within waves that bring about the elegant complexity of life's flow. The rich elegance of life is a result of the fractal nature of reality. So, you know, what it says later yeah. on right here is Juicy. something very yeah. important. Yes, it says, this is because fractals are patterns that exhibit similarity between a whole and its parts. Mm-hmm. So this is beginning to answer your question. So if you look at, for instance, the branches on a tree. Yeah. Like the smaller branches are very similar to the larger branches mm-hmm. and vice versa. And this branching pattern exists all over the place. It exists in branches and leaves and so on, as well as roots, in rivers, in your circulatory system. Mm -hmm. Branching patterns are a very common example that we're accustomed to seeing that are all fractal Mm -hmm. because there's a pattern of self-similarity that keeps repeating. Right. There are other forms, too, like, for instance, the shapes of clouds. Mm -hmm. The smaller portions are similar to the larger portions. The shapes of mountains. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of things. Snowflakes, even. Yeah, the growth patterns. Anything that grows and diminishes, that that process is going to exhibit some degree of self-similarity. So there's mm-hmm. a fractal occurrence here. And this is due to the, the fact that everything is an expression of vibration. Hmm. So we have vibrations that are simple vibrations. We have vibrations on top of those vibrations and vibrations on top of those vibrations. And you can fit basically an infinite number of vibrations theoretically into an, into a string with infinite dimension. You're, and you're talking about in physics terms, like actual ter- physical terms. Uh, yes. And so physics is actually a consequence of metaphysics. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is that what we perceive and experience as physical reality is a consequence of the, the relatively orderly operation of information that is occurring non-physically. So there's information transformation. There's information that is basically encoded in vibration. Okay. And that is what allows for, for everything that we perceive in as physical to exist. Okay. So the metaphysical is like all of the things. The metaphysical is the, the basis of, the, the true basis of reality, if you want to view it that way. Okay. There's an assumption in, that's related to... Because you say metaphysical and I think like supernatural and spiritual kind of things. But that's not what you're referring to. Metaphysical literally means the layer above okay. the physical. Okay. It's a layer that... The layer from which the physical comes from. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... So yeah, I mean, we can get rather complicated here. So in a way, there's a spiritual aspect to it, but really that's not where you're coming from. Yes, and because uh-huh. when you understand spirit as being the essence of something, yes. the essence of something is not its physical existence. I was beginning to elaborate point. that you know Western culture, at least since the time of Descartes pretty much, has been very much obsessed with physicalism, mm-hmm. which is a belief that only what is physical is real. Right. And that belief is false. We have actually tremendous amounts of evidence that this is just not the case. Mm -hmm. And there certainly have been many 
failed attempts to try to create an overarching theory of metaphysics that brings about physics. But we're actually getting pretty close to -hmm. this. And I could probably... Proving God. We don't have to prove God because it's a matter of understanding what God is. We're getting closer. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You were saying we're getting closer to proving... We're getting closer to offering a, a very clear, rational, and useful theory of metaphysics that explains and allows us to predict what we see in physical reality. Hmm. So we're, we're, as a species, we're almost there to the realization, but this is a, this are you going to explain it to us? Cause come on. I was beginning to, okay. in terms of it's all vibration. Right. Okay. Um, and so what is vibration? Vibration is an oscillation mm-hmm. of value. Okay. That's really all a vibration is. So oscillating values are the basis of everything that we, for all existence, in all forms, in all realities, and the function of reality, all these things are variations, oscillations of value. Everything is fundamentally cyclical. Hmm. So the illusion of a straight line is, is actually, it's artificial. Hmm. And you can see this in everything that's in nature very easily. You know, you have the seasons, you know, day and night, and you have orbits of planets, in orbits of electrons or around nuclei and everything is cyclical. And this is because everything is oscillating. Hmm. So it becomes very difficult to imagine because it has to do with the nature of vibration to infinite degrees and trying to explain that to people. Yeah. Mine, my mind was blown like five minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a bit challenging, but Certainly the idea that everything is vibration is that, that, that in and of itself is a liberating notion. Yeah. And what we perceive as physical reality, in fact, there was, I mean, I could get into this topic, it can go pretty deep, but what we perceive as, let's say, waves and particles mm-hmm. in physical reality are actually just consequences of the vibration of consciousness itself, which is tied to what is being referred to these days as the, the quantum field. Uh huh. So, and it has to do with power differences and what's required to have these particles in, in physical matter is actually but an incredibly tiny proportion of the energy which is always present in the vibration of consciousness. Say that again. Okay. The, what we perceive as particles and waves in all physical matter, mm-hmm. in terms of the energy of all of this, okay, the value of energy to the quantum field, which is really just the vibration of consciousness itself, is incredibly small. And it's so ridiculously small in proportion that it's super humbling. And what it suggests from a perspective that's, let's say, touching in the realm of quantum physics is that... We all of physical reality can only be but an incredibly minute portion of all reality. Hmm. And so it just is very similar in many respects to the observations we've made over the past couple centuries of just how small our Earth is in comparison to the universe. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's just that once we come to understand that it goes beyond that too. Right. Like that degree of being so infinitesimal also applies to 
all variations of realities or aspects of the omniverse mm-hmm. uh, beyond the physical. So there is so much more out there and in here than we are capable of witnessing directly. Basically, the evidence for, for just how vast reality is, is so significantly greater now than any conception of physicalism allows. Yeah. And that's what I was attempting to communicate there. So, you know, all of this is alive. We are alive and we're not, we're not part of a dead universe. We're part of a living organism. Yeah. That is functioning on the basis of cycles and self-similarity and vibration. And this is not conjecture. This is actually a description that you can verify. So I guess that, I mean, this, this is obviously a, a very big topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where is this description that you can verify? What I'm saying is that what do you mean? I'm offering a description. Yeah. Where things can be verified that the cyclical nature, the fractal nature of existence, oh, yeah. of the nature of vibration, of the nature of life and how it's operating at scales, we can visually, invisibly, and you know, in other ways, see and observe the functioning of life at all scales. When you, when one comes to to consider the conceptualization of the the omniverse as being a living being beyond the physicalist assumptions, right? So it changes the perspective of what we are, what where we are, and so on. This is very similar to other significant paradigm shifts that occurred in history, such as the realization that the earth is not the center of the universe. Right. You know, the perception of stars and, and other celestial objects, let's call them, mm-hmm. um, that we couldn't see with the naked eye when telescopes first became used to observe the, the heavens. Mm-hmm. So in each of these cases, we were able to observe further and further, more and more, receive more and more information and realize how very, very small we are. But the more we put all these things together, all this information together, plus this, a lot of this information is accessible in other ways as well. Spiritually speaking, it's, a, it's accessible. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, when we put all the evidence, as long as we're not fooling ourselves by pretending that only what is physical is real, which is a form of ignorance, mm-hmm. willful ignorance, by right. ignoring the vastness and complexity, the same way that, let's say, the, the church was, the Catholic Church was attempting to suppress Galileo, for instance. Right. You know, it's, it's quite similar. It's like there, there's a status quo that we've been operating under, which is based on stuff which is not accurate. Mm-hmm. It's just not accurate. And when we come to align ourselves with that which is more accurate, we discover that in a similar way, we are less than we thought we were. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we are greater than we thought we were. Because we are of the whole, we are not separate from the whole. Separation is an illusion. And so we are at at once smaller and bigger than we ever imagined we were. Fascinating. I mean, you lost me about 20 minutes ago. Okay. Well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it really is fascinating. And it really is. I mean, it's so daunting to think of how little we 
little we can conceive of and how small we are and how and also how infinitely small things actually get and how infinitely vast things get but i i think you know to your point there's just ever increasing evidence that we are all totally connected and mm-hmm. that all living beings are connected and just like the mycelium network underneath the forest floor is connecting all of the different plants and come to align ourselves with that which is more accurate we discuss similar way we are less than we thought we were mm-hmm. and it's greater than we thought we were because we are of the whole we are not separate from the whole separation is an illusion it is for sure mind-boggling all around to consider how infinitesimally small things get and how vast things are and uh and there's ever increasing evidence that we are totally connected that there is an inter interrelationship from the mycelium network in the forests to just the way that we interact in consciousness and in dialogue. Um, so I just find that whole that whole thing on on one side of it is just like because I can't fathom it, it is sort of threatening. You know what I mean? Because it's like, oh God, what's really going on? But I think the overall point is that. There is comfort in simply knowing that there is an interconnection between all of us mm-hmm. and that we are this larger thing. And so then we don't need to kind of worry about our little bullshit all the time as much. And you're deserving of love. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we are enough, almost in part because we are, because there's a recognition of the larger whole. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There is an inherent safety in perceiving that we are all consciousness we are all expressions of consciousness and the reason for this is that consciousness is beyond space and time so consciousness is not born is not does not die uh, it is pervasive and so as expressions of consciousness we are inherently safe mm-hmm. now we may experience experiences which are traumatic and painful and difficult and so on and Consciousness is that which is able to witness and make choices. It's the ability to do so. Yeah. And it relates fundamentally to the nature of information and value propagation through creation. That's it. The whole thing operates. Uh, The whole thing that we are. So when we're tuned into these core fundamentals of what we are and what we're a part of, there's nothing to be afraid of fundamentally except the stories we tell ourselves and each other. Hmm. And that's by choice because as an expression of consciousness, that which witnesses and makes choices, we get to choose these stories. Hmm. We get to choose which stories we choose to believe, right? Right. So if we choose to believe the, the, the fearful stories, we'll behave in fearful ways. Yeah. If we choose to be, believe in loving stories, we will behave in loving ways. Yeah. Right. I recommend the latter. Right. Yeah. I sort of wrote a book on it. It's called Feel Love Eventually. Yeah, right? yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Feel love at some point, sometime, once you have all the shit that you need to feel loved. I think that's what it's called now. It's called Feel Love Now. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, that's like sort of there's there's another simple way of looking at things through that lens as well, which is like, as you say, we're the ones that are creating the sort the stories. You know, we are the sorcerers of our own um, you know of our own tales constantly mm-hmm. ever and always. And we're all, and we're interacting with people. We're telling these stories as well. 
Like you really have a choice. Do you want to choose the path of fear where you're constricted and contracted and just fucking everything is very hard all the time and you're suffering. You're talking like you're not suffering and et cetera. Or do you want to choose the path of love where you're constantly like accepting more and doing your best to love more? It doesn't mean like you don't get angry. You don't have emotion or you don't experience, Mm -hmm. right? Just that you're opening yourself up more to the experience of life. You're being more humble. You're being more appreciative and grateful for the life that we have. Mm -hmm. You're choosing to be more loving of other people and beings and the planet and your relationship Mm -hmm. with all of those things. Yeah. And I would extend it even further and say that. Take it, take it. Let's go to the bank. Know what I mean? Absolutely. Let's go over the wall again. Okay. Let's do it. Here we we, go. Know what I mean? Here we go. Good times. So when we understand that this is all alive, we're, we're part of a living being. Mm Mm-hmm then the wellness of that living being increasing its ability to function is essentially the purpose of love. Hmm. And illness is its opposite. And fear facilitates illness. Hmm. Fear reduces the ability to function in order to perpetuate its own existence at the expense of the whole. Hmm. And so that's sort of necessary in a way in order to have the full range of possible ends. Because if you're so well, your ability to function is so great that, well, if you weren't able to decrease that ability to function, then you wouldn't be fully functional. Yeah. Right. You, you have to have the full range. Otherwise, it's a minimization of functionality. Right. So the existence of illness, the existence of fear is a consequence of love itself. Yeah. It's just the illusion uh, of limitation, the of restriction that we're choosing to create in order to have a fuller, richer, more functional experience of, of realities, of reality, of existence in all of its infinite forms. Yeah, that's great. And I, I mean, I often think of fear or limitations or limiting beliefs, you know, or like um, mocking voices or like the bad voices in your head as, which are all fear-based, right? All those, all, all those thoughts that are telling me I'm not enough or I'm undeserving, et cetera. You know, I, I, I like to think of them as sparring partners. Hmm. One can think of fear itself as a sparring partner. You know, if I didn't have these ideas that I couldn't do it, then why would I do it? Do you know what I mean? There is a value in recognizing that all of these limiting beliefs that I have mm-hmm. are things that I set up and really learn to love more and even be more well, as you put it. Mm-hmm. I view it... Um, in a way which is less oriented on conflict because I don't view fears as being things to fight or to resist. Mm-hmm. I view them as messages, which I may choose to believe or not believe. Okay. They're all based on stories. Yeah. Right. So for instance, if I'm feeling sadness, it's a form of fear mm-hmm. about the nature of loss that not having something which I wish I had is going to be problematic it's Mm -hmm. it's, that it's really bad right Right. and so it's that sense that oh this is a threat that i don't have this that sense of loss is that what you know is um felt as sadness Mm -hmm. Uh, we can feel fear in the form of anger which is about a sense of fairness like you know they're 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 not treating me right they're not treating they're not treating me fair why is that bothering you because there's a fear that if you're not treated fairly, what's going to happen? Something problematic, <laughs> something <laughs> that you need to defend against. Right. There's lots of variations of fear yeah. that exist. 
And so when we perceive that there are these stories, then as we come to understand them, we come to understand parts of ourselves that are less conscious. Mm -hmm. And more conscious we become of them, the more we're able to love them. And then it's like, oh, there's a part of me that's like uh, a scared child. Mm -hmm. So how may I love that scared child? Yeah. Uh, How may I parent that scared child in a way that's going to facilitate the growth of that child? Mm -hmm. Versus I got to duke it out with this, you know, anger. I can't do it. I have anger issues. I'm going to be angry at the anger, you know, or the judgment or create these other vicious cycles. I mean, shamed of my shame. Yeah, I guess I, I hear what you're saying. For me, the sparring example is more like, I don't think of it as like, oh, I have to be angry at my own anger or, oh, sure. or like that. I think of it much more as I am practicing with this idea in my head so that I can become stronger mm. or more well or grow more. And so therefore, even the sparring partner itself, the fear that I'm having, the thought that I'm having is valuable. Yes. So there's like an undercurrent of like, okay, well, I love that because this uh, whatever entity person idea that I'm having is valuable to me because they're helping me sharpen my sword. Yeah. So, I, and I like that. I like, I like the whole Bruce Lee thing of it. You know what I mean? I like fucking thinking that at the end of this battle in my brain, I'm going to come out fucking, you know what I mean? Kicking ass like Keanu Reeves in the matrix. All right. Guns blazing. That's my thing. All right. I'm into it. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's end here. We're going to end on divine love. Divine love is what holds our universe together in equilibrium as a single living being. Divine love is what holds our universe together in equilibrium as a single living being. It's how your soul knows the way to direct you with love. It's also the basis of every technology and scientific discovery. Mm -hmm. But divine love is what allows for the flowering of form and the flow of life. It allows for the creation of each present moment. It's what allows consciousness to be expressed as reality. (laughs) Divine love is what allows for illness while simultaneously attracting life towards wellness. It's what allows the forms of life to be finite while allowing the flow of life to be infinite. This means that both wellness and illness are infinite and cannot be quantified. Instead, wellness and illness can only be measured as relative fractions of infinity. Okay. I love this whole idea. Divine love is what holds our universe together in equilibrium as a single living being. Yes. Prove it. Okay. So when we take as a given that what we're looking at here is vibration Mm -hmm. and that vibration is an oscillation of value. Okay. So an oscillation between more of something and less of something. Mm -hmm. Then we can see in order to oscillate, there needs to be a degree of opposition and there needs to be some sort of tension. You know, it's like a spring or something like this. It's going to, it's causing it to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. So that means that there's essentially opposing forces that's allowing for a range of values. Right. So this, uh, this degree of opposing forces is what allows consciousness itself to vibrate because without this inherent metaphysical force, there could be no vibration. And this inherent, this inherent metaphysical force is divine love. Yes, I'm, I'm basically offering divine love, love as a relatively accurate label to describe it because the effect of this force is to increase the ability to function hmm. of all life in all forms, in all aspects, fundamentally, 
of God. Wow. Okay. That's cool. So that's why it's divine. Yeah. Nice. Like I nearly understood that. (laughs) That's great. I love that. I really love uh, that whole thing. That's great. Um, and then, so now, you know, reality is God expressing ourself in each moment as expressions of life itself. We are infinitely flowing and flowering in form. And yet we are also each a witness and creator of our own choices. In each moment, we flow together as a single living being, a universe. That is why now is the flow of life. Well said. (laughs) As I was reading it, actually, from your your book, it's the last paragraph before the practice section. Well read, then. (laughs) This last last spot. So um, that is now, this is why now is the flow of life. That's beautiful. Any parting words that you want to tell people about Feel Love Now? Anything else you want to say about this we didn't cover? I guess that there can easily be a sense of overwhelm when we begin to accept how very, very different existence and reality is from the conceptions that we grew up with. Mm -hmm. And that it's entirely reasonable to feel that sense of resistance, that sense of shock, that sense of uh, disbelief. I can't because, or even overwhelm. Yeah. yeah, Because Mm -hmm. it's so foreign, right? You know, it feels so very different. I mean, the same way that coming to accept a round earth was so foreign to certain individuals and certain individuals. It still is. Still is. (laughs) Right. But yet the amount of evidence we have is pretty substantial. Um, Yeah. Yeah, anyway, uh, certainly very convincing. Yeah. And so we have the same sort of situation right now with uh, greater and much more accurate understandings of what we are mm-hmm. as a living being, uh, what we're doing here, uh, the nature of how we operate, how we interoperate mm-hmm. and how to facilitate uh, the fulfillment of our true desires. Yeah. Which I would say are fundamentally um, oriented around wellness, happiness and prosperity which are all intertwined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're saying don't be dismayed at how big it is and different it it looks. Relax, chill out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all good. Um, There's nothing about this to be afraid of. There's nothing but love. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm going to leave people with anything, it'd be that in the end, what we're seeing, what we're observing, what we're experiencing is nothing but love. Hmm. Nothing but love, baby. Nothing but love, baby. You know what I mean? Nothing but love. All right. That's good. I love it. Very good. Well, that's great. Oh, you know, the last thing that I wanted to say actually about that whole thing is for me, you know, the concept that all is divine love and that there is such a thing as that there is a bit of a leap of faith. But it's a fun leap to take. All right. Good deal. Know what I mean? All right. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. I love you, even though I don't necessarily know you. You know what I mean? Because you're breathing and you don't want to know what the fuck is going on, just like me. You know what I mean? Thank you so much for tuning into Lunacy. If you'd like to support this work and keep it going, join our team at patreon.com backslash lunacy podcast. It's been a real pleasure talking to my good friend, Ares Asher. Pick up his book, Feel Love Now. Lunacy was created by myself, Jeff Ado, with podcast management and production support by Kimberly Joy Voice, LLC. Thank you so much. See you next time.